Welcome to Gritty Leaders Podcast. Hannah, welcome to Gritty Leaders Podcast. Thank you, Ben. It's a great joy to be here. I've been looking forward to this one. You and I have worked together a couple of times. The next time is is coming up and you're the founder of Sidekick and Sidekick's eight years old. You help leaders and teams play to their strengths Mm -hmm. in a completely different way than I do. But my business is called Leader and Team. So I love that that's your focus. It's why we, we work together from time to time. And it's always good, Hannah. And I know you're busy and I have to wait months each time to get the right gap in your your diary. So that's uh, uh, it's always a reminder for me that you're in demand and that I'm lucky to be lucky to be working with you. So so thank you. Oh, that's very kind. <laughs> you're a Gallup's strength based coach. So we're going to get into that in a little while. But before we dive in, tell us the backstory because Sidekick is is not your first rodeo. You've done a few things. You've had quite an impactful career and I suspect that story kind of led up to Sidekick and has shaped it. So tell us. Okay and yes you're right. I definitely was squiggly in my approach (laughs) to the development of my career. So I did a business degree majoring really in advertising, marketing and, and psychology and headed out into the world of advertising first of all which I thought was my dream direction. What was interesting for me personally was that very quickly it didn't feel right. I can't really explain that, Ben, other than it wasn't what I thought it was. And it wasn't the right fit for me to use my talents and who I am. So actually, a big learning curve, I left and I was involved in a charity setup at that point, fresh out of uni, didn't know what I was doing, but began to pioneer something, but in the charity space. I ended up finding myself in schools quite a bit through that work and decided to qualify as a teacher. So my next development point was that I became a, a qualified teacher, started working in quite hard to reach communities. I worked in, I, I'm from Birmingham, I'm sure your guests can hear that. And I, I lived um, and lived and worked in schools that were reaching some of the most deprived communities in the city. I then went on to become an assistant head and was involved in the turnaround of a school that was essentially special measures to get it to a place of outstanding. And my role in that was the development of the teachers and developing them to be excellent at what they do, to reach higher expectations for children and families who had some of the hardest battles to fight uh, alongside uh, coming to school. So I basically then hit a point, as you say, about eight years ago, where life events happened. I often describe it that way because I think many people understand what I mean. There were several large life events, difficult ones, that kind of occurred all around the same time. And I think what happens then is you start to reassess and wonder what might be next for you. And work wasn't feeling how it had felt, and I knew I didn't want to be a head teacher. So I kind of took this development communication talent and thought I want to use it in a different space. And and again, I know we'll talk about this more, but my understanding my strengths, my Clifton strengths was tantamount to me having the courage and confidence to make the decision to leave and begin my work. So what I now do is I work, as you say, with leaders and teams to support their development, enable them to work more effectively together, particularly playing into that personality piece. I also work with individuals who are wondering what might be next for them, just like I was, and support that process of having um, the tools and the courage and the confidence to divert into the next season of their life. So yes, very squiggly, but I suppose you can see there is a thread all the way through there of both knowledge of self and bringing my kind of personal talents to different environments as I've gone along. I love the word squiggly, <laughs> a squiggly thread. But yeah, I, I hear right from the get-go, there's a, there's been a pioneer in you. And also, you've been drawn to purpose. Mm. You've met challenges and, and it sounds like you've sort of moved towards the more purposeful ones. And then mm. I love what you said at the, the end there, using Clifton's strengths was really helpful in you following, I I, kind of, it sounded to me, it was really helpful in you knowing that you could follow your heart, you could do what you wanted to do, your strengths were sort of confirmatory 
of an instinct you already had about the direction you were going to take. That's right. I think the specificity of Clifton Strengths and the fact I'd known that tool for quite a long time because I was introduced to it by uh, a management consultant friend of the family, actually, through a very different route, had sort of sat there in the back of my mind. And I realised that that's why these are the things I love. That's why I'm good at my job. And that's how I can take that into another environment and it still be useful, purposeful and meaningful. Because you and I both know I've got to love what I do. And that's the best platform for anybody to have the most impact, whatever environment they're in. If they're using their strengths and talents, they're going to love it and they're going to have the most impact on the people around them and on the the bottom line or whatever outcome it is that they're looking for. And I think the other thing I I learned through that, which, again, I'm sure listeners will resonate with, is that when we're met with a challenge and we're met with a development opportunity, the more we know what we bring to that, the clearer we can be about what's the right course of action for us. And what I chose to do, like you say, pioneering things, isn't the right course of action for everybody. I'm actually the daughter of a, 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 my dad had his own business. There is a bit of that pioneering nature in me. My husband's a pioneering person. So that isn't everybody's right choice. And I think knowing what what is in you and what you lean towards can give you the confidence to know, is this the right next thing for me? Strengths has worked in exactly this way for me. It's one of the reasons I'm so keen to have this conversation with you. I've done DISC. I'm qualified in DISC. DISC tells me how I like to communicate. Uh, I've done uh, Myers-Briggs, and I always have to remind myself exactly what that does tell me. But one of the things it tells me is, is how I like to think. Strengths. I keep my strengths on a note. I keep them to hand. And they tell me how I have impact. And it's so useful as challenges come up. And just exactly as you've said, to be reminded, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right thing. I'm playing to my strengths as I approach this challenge. And it's 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 quite powerful. So I think strengths is it's a, bit, a bit different to, to some of the other tools. I love the way you've just described it as it shows you how you have impact. And again, I've worked with you, so I, I know some of the things that you do and you bring and that, that desire to, to help people see and look into the future. But remembering who it is that you're working with, that, again, individualised approach really plays into who you are and why people want to work with you. And, and I think that impact, I know the kind of questions I should ask you if I if I want the best from you in terms of how you could best help me, because I know what will make your eyes light up and go, oh, let's talk about that some more. And like you say, Clifton Strengths has shown you the way you have that impact as someone who develops leaders and teams in your daily life. Thank you, because you've made me realise something here. When I use the other profiling tools, people invariably say, that's exactly me. And it's a bit spooky. How does the tool do that? I get this with with DISC. You get it with uh, MBTI as well. When it strengths, um, well, you'll, you'll tell me, but I don't think it's the same response. I think people say, that's exactly me. And it feels right. It doesn't feel spooky. It feels right. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I think, yeah, I have varied responses, but you're right. Most people look at their report and they think, gosh, this really is me. It's nailed me. It's nailed me in a very specific way and a way that, again, is confirmatory of the things that I should be doing. I think for some people that I work with, if I'm working with them when life has become very difficult or they feel a little bit more lost or stuck, they can often see why their strengths have been difficult for them and how they've ended, which, I'm, you know, this idea of how our personality and our strengths can also be difficult for us or or cause us problems and so for some people that they're seeing the reasons why life has been hard or how these things are a little bit out of check and then for people who are in their lane and they're leading well and they're in they're in the flow of what they should be doing they go yes actually this is what I do what's also interesting Ben is that sometimes people will say to me well every leader does that And I spend my life saying, no, they don't actually. You think that very much like leaders give these maxims or this is how you must be. This is the things you should be. That comes from their experience as a leader. And and I kind of spend my, my life with leaders saying, actually, other leaders don't do this. Other people who do what you do, Ben, 
do not necessarily bring that pro- that kind of future thinking, that individualized approach and that momentum that your activator does. They might come alongside people really effectively, but differently to how you do. And I, I do sound like a banger drum a little bit by saying, no, actually, not all leaders do what you do. This is what you do. And it feels like all leaders do because it feels so natural. So, yes, I agree. There is this, this feels so right. And it's reminding people that it's not role related. It's you related. I know one of your strengths is, is woo, winning others over. And you're doing yes. it in this conversation. You're tailoring the conversation. You're speaking to me and I, and I feel it. And it's so powerful. So thank you. It's one of the one of the reasons, simple reasons I like hanging out with you, Hannah. Thanks, Ben. Take us th- take us through your strengths, though. Your what are your top five? So there's thirty four altogether, and my top five mm-hmm. are woo, which is like you say, winning others over. It means I love meeting new people. I love hearing their stories. Uh, I enjoy connecting with them and growing that sense of friendship from from strangers. Communication, uh, obviously, I like to talk, but it's more than that. It's storytelling again. It's making things accessible for people so that they can take complex. I'm not, I'm not a highbrow thinker. I, I know that I'm, I'm more than capable of understanding difficult things. But my gift really is to use story to make things accessible and reachable. Um, I then have developer. I love to see people develop. I love to see things develop. For me. We can have mass impact, but I still love it when I get the individual email. This is what I'm doing now because of what you did. That's probably the teacher in me. I'm one of those weird teachers, Ben, that actually quite liked marking uh, because I love to see the progress. I, I would enjoy what, look at what you can do now. You know, I've got empathy. That doesn't necessarily just mean, I think people confuse it and conflate it with compassion. It's not the same. It means I have a, a more intuitive approach to my thinking. I am very emotionally aware. I do feel the range of emotion. And my gut is a significant part of my ease or unease around decision. It also means I pick up the cues that might be in between the conversations and what's really going on for people. And then finally, I have belief. It means that I am quite value driven and it's an executing strength. It means I get things done when I think they matter. That's simply how I describe it. So I'm a very busy person and you could easily think I had strengths such as achiever, which I don't have, but it it sort of masquerades like achiever because if I think it matters, if it's important to me, if it's aligned with my values, I'll give it everything in very much the way achiever does. One of the values I think of strengths is you have to go beyond the words, don't you? Like, woo is a great yes. one. It's the coolest sounding strength, by the way. <laughs> but winning others over, and it, it invites you to, you know, people want to know, well, what does that actually mean? Empathy, you've just talked us through empathy. On the surface, people quite often connect it to compassion, as you say. But actually, if empathy is one of our strengths, we go, it means so much more than that. To me, empathy is a lot about curiosity. We notice quite a bit about the the other person, the other party, and we're curious and we're able to appreciate things from their perspective, but but not at a surface level, uh, in many more levels. So digging into these titles, I think, is one of the valuable bits of, of, of strengths and, and you're really good at bringing that to life. Tell me about how this works with with a team. Okay, I love working with teams. So I often start with leaders in in leadership environments where much like things that you do yourself, groups of leaders come together and I, I often start there. But essentially, teams are people and people do people stuff. That's something that my husband says. How do people do people things? So when we're frustrated or uh, all the things that, you know, it, that's it. People are doing people things all the time. So teams come together and we want teams to be functional because it makes them more productive. It's a good thing when we're in a team that feels healthy and functional. And yet they're full of people. That's the problem. <laughs> and people have their own preferences. They have their own personality. And so what I love about strengths in a team is that it gives people nuance and place within that team that perhaps 
other profiling tools don't quite do because they can make people feel like they're fitting a role or a box. Mm-hmm. So the thing about strengths is we, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but the thing about strengths is nobody will have your profile. So you and I have got no crossover strengths in our top five. Actually, strategic is my number six. Okay. Strategic is my number six and individualization is my number seven. So I get those two as an activator. So I've got three of your top five in my top 10, but futuristic and maximizer are not in my top 10. Anyway, that means that when you're sitting with a group of 10 senior leaders, you're going to have some strengths in common and you'll feel the connection with that person, but you're also going to be wildly different to them. And that means everybody has a place and everybody has a contribution and everybody has a role. So with a team, when we we really get to listen and hear what this means to the individual, you start to get more specific about their contribution. It also shows you how you might be misunderstanding, misrepresenting, miscommunicating with that person so that actually your working relationship might sometimes have challenge because you are expecting them to behave and think like you. And however brilliant we think we are as a leader, that is our predisposition as a person. We think, why don't they get this? This is obvious. Why don't they understand what I'm trying to do? And yet, sometimes you've got people in teams that are approaching the same challenge from very different perspectives, both in terms of people, execution, thinking. Are they thinking about the past, the present, the future? And what we want to do is to get the best out from that environment so everyone can contribute and we aren't misunderstanding people. So for me, strengths gives this leveling platform for people to be heard and understood. And then we can set our teams up to have systems, rhythms, processes that can enable more people to flourish rather than just people who think and behave like me. So as an individual, I don't need to be well-rounded. I need my team to compensate for what I don't do. So, I'd, I'd, you know, if we work together, that would be a dream in the fact that we do do different things. We've got enough crossover for us to 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 appreciate each other. As long as our purpose and our goal was aligned, we would be able to wrestle it through together to a more well-rounded solution. And that's what I love about it is that we don't just want to have more people in our teams that think like us. We do need that provocation. We do need that difference of approach. And yet that's exactly what causes the challenges along the way. It's so interesting. It tees up a question that I love to ask of a team, but I ask it at a very specific point. And the question is, how can we play to our strengths? And of course, you're you're giving the content that enables people to answer that question in a really good way. I like to ask that question after the team has worked on their goal or their vision. Um, I do a lot of strategy facilitation. So quite often we're we're working with a sort of a either a one-year horizon or maybe a, a sort of a midterm three-year horizon. I will have asked what's possible. We will have hung out with that idea. We will have stretched ourselves. We know where we're going. We've thought about, because uh, my definition of strategy, not the strengths definition of strategy, or strategic, because you'll now have to tell us that in a minute. But my definition of strategy is our choice of approach to get to where we want to be. Because uh, if we choose between different approaches, then we're going to improve our our choice. So once a team has got to that point, so they're excited because they're working with what's possible rather than what's easily within reach they've thought of three ways to achieve it they've chosen between those three ways they're ready to get go this is the moment when I then like to ask okay if this is what we're going to do how can we play to our strengths as we do that so I guess the reason for explaining all of this is I'm I'm curious um, what's the relationship between strengths and sort of that stretching demanding goal that's, that's so good. I mean, I, I, I love that you're asking it at that point, because I think you're right. There has got to be that commonality first around where are we heading? Uh, different approach then, then works when we have a, a goal that we're heading towards. So for me, that, that whole how does it work with a stretching goal is to think how are we best going to contribute to that, that stretching goal? One of the problems can be, even with the most functioning teams, is we like, well, this is my job and this is my role and this is the thing that I'm employed to do. 
and the number of teams you work with where we get very siloed, especially as things start to grow and we, we're trying to be efficient. So we're like, well, this is my area. This is my, you know, I, I contribute here, but but really this isn't my team. A lot of senior leadership teams will say that to me. I have a team that I look after and I, I'm involved in SLT or whatever they call it, but that's not really my team. My team is the team I'm working with. And I'm like, well, you're in two teams <laughs> and it's actually all one big team. But when they're in that large, that sort of leadership environment, it's reminding people that, yes, you are representing your function, your team. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a brilliant contribution you can make to the wider goal and the, the, the wider thing. Let me give an example. Let's say your finance director has ideation as one of their top five strengths. They love an idea. They love um, an innovation. They love to think about fresh perspectives. And yet they're never involved in early stage conversations that they're impacting other parts of the business or organization. That is a waste because an ideation finance director will be very comfortable with, let's just talk about it. Let's imagine early stage thinking. You know, some of us can shut things down very quickly, can't we? And they should be being consulted and included when those kind of things happen, even though their job isn't directly related with that. It's just a waste of that person's potential. So for me, when you really get to know your strengths and this challenging goal, it's, well, how are we, how are we able to be more intentional about using that strength? Ben, you've got futuristic and maximizer. So if you were in a role in a leadership team, how can you be giving that to the different functions and the different aspects of that challenging goal? Play, that, I mean, maximizers want, to, maximizers want to play to strength, so no wonder you ask that question. But futuristic is, well, are you getting stuck in the now? How do I push you to think two years down the line, five years down the line, 10 years down the line? And you can lend that questioning and that thinking to somebody who finds futuristic thinking more difficult. I worked with a CEO recently and futuristic was number 34, Ben, for this CEO. He had a successful business, but future thinking was so hard for him. And so you being in the mix immediately upskills him because you're creating an environment where that kind of questioning and thinking can be explored. And yet, if you remain only in your function, that CEO never benefits from that. So it's challenging. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this philosophical approach doesn't come with challenge, but it's worth wrestling through because, well, the data and the stats suggest we're more productive when we build our teams this way and we're more profitable. So it's not just nice and it's not just engaging. It's actually also just a good idea to get it done. Do you know, I think this is probably in the the top three, top two reasons that companies fail to to scale up is that their teams, their top team, their core team in the scale-up doesn't make the transition you've just described. People say exactly what you said. They say, this isn't my team. My team is the sales team over there, or or my team is the, the customer support team. I do some things up at leadership level, but this isn't my team. And you've just brought that to life so beautifully. And that, that team to operate, it needs three things. It needs the demanding challenge. It needs know-how. So what are our rhythms? What are our ways of working? How do we communicate? All of that stuff. But it needs cohesive cohesivity as well. And loads of people have read Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of, of a Team. And it talks so much about productive conflict, which is a useful concept. I always slow down when I say productive conflict because it also gets so misunderstood. And it's incomplete as well because it doesn't bring in everything, all that richness that you've just described. Conflict sets up a uh, a sort of a, a particular frame on how these conversations work, whereas you described it just now, Hannah. And I come in and I can help that conversation consider the future, where previously that was a blind spot to the conversation. And each person on the leadership team can do that. And now our productive discussion, better word than conflict, our productive discussion is so much more productive, creative, useful. So thank you. You've really brought that to life. I jotted down something I thought I was going to ask you almost straight away, but we've just got sucked into our conversation and we're a long way through. So I'm backing up a, a little bit um, because these words grabbed me as I was doing my research and getting myself ready for, for this conversation. And it's sitting there on your LinkedIn for everybody to see. 
And you said, Hannah, I started Psychic because I believe for the world to progress, it needs unique, brave and exceptional leaders. And I'm really curious about it. We have already been talking for hours about sort of what goes into that statement. But why unique? Why brave? It's a great question. And first of all, for the world to progress is an important part of that. So not just for me to have a nice life <laughs> is, is not what I've written or for me to you know have a profitable life where I can have nice holidays and jet off for the world to progress is quite important so if we're going to have leaders that contribute more widely than just um, a business that makes money but also provides meaningful employment for people solves some of the world's challenges or contributes to solutions I think unique and brave so the unique for me is around people who are understanding their personality. So this idea of everything we've just said, you know, the fact that they have, yes, there's life lessons and yes, there's leadership lessons, but what about your life experience? What about your personality? What about your approach? I can't do what other people do in my space. I can only do what I can do in this space. What does my unique contribution look like? How do I partner with others, but bring my unique best? So for me, self-awareness, self-knowledge, others' awareness is a pivotal point around a successful leader. And then the other thing around bravery, I I love the word brave. Um, I don't know whether I am that brave, but I do love the word brave. And (laughs) for me, bravery is around choosing to do things differently that might have cost. So that could look different for everybody. I, I, when I started Sidekick at a point where my husband was also transitioning to, to a new new role and I have three young children and a mortgage, mm. it was brave. I It was brave because I was walking away from a secure a career that I could have continually progressed in and had a very nice... Yeah, safe harbour. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with staying there, but that bravery has enabled me to do something else. And for me, that doing things differently around the bravery is around choices, choosing to do things that benefit the long run and rather than just now. Uh, we can all do things that give us nice responses now. You know, what's a quick way to make a quick book? But what are choices and direction that are braver with long range thought or, or um, purpose driven thinking? And I think it's also brave to have integrity, Ben. We can make compromises and we see people make compromises. There's nothing brave around some of the political mess we see ourselves in because people have made compromise after compromise on a personal level. It is brave to be different. It is brave to say, I'm not going to do it that way. It's brave to say, actually, this makes me feel a bit icky and I'm going to not get sucked into that um, way of doing business. So if the world's going to progress, not just me having the nice life, which is my, my, my earlier point, you've got to know who you are and have bravery to say, we're going to do things a bit differently around here. And then we're going to see solutions as we do from, I mean, I'm from Birmingham. So I look at Cadbury uh, and the Cadbury family and what happened in Bourneville as an early example of a unique leader doing a brave thing and systematically changing the outcomes for all their workers and for their city by the way they chose to do business. And that for me is what I'm talking about. I love that example. And and I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, how can I frame uh, uh, my next my next question? I want to ask, how much more impact does a person have if they do this, if they are brave and if they play to their strengths? And, and the Cadbury story, I mean, gosh, that must be a hundred times more impact than some other path that that, that founder don't know the story well enough I should know their names but that's my strength isn't it uh, individualization showing up I want to know their names <laughs> and I'm not prepared I've forgotten as well I feel like it's George and I, I may have just completely made that up but there was a, there was there was more than one of them wasn't there but I, for me it, you might not have as much impact immediately but it's about legacy and it's about the difference it makes to other leaders lives I hope for me that some of the the choices I've made have changed other people's directions. So there is a a ripple effect that I may never know. I may never, I may never have the size of organisation that perhaps I would like or that I esteem to, and I'm going to do my best to get there. 
but there are certain things I'm not going to compromise on on the way. And therefore, there will be other measures that alongside that will be ripple effect down the road. I mean, going back to the Cadbury story, the, the provision of housing and the, the, the setting up a, a response to the wider needs of people in, in, in the city of Birmingham will have changed the direction of the children of those families and the so on. We will never know the things that they're able to do because of the decisions that were made for them. And you could look at that, that Cadbury example and think that they didn't have to do that. They could have still made a brilliant chocolate bar without doing any of that and still being a large successful company but they chose to widen their remit and in my small way or with the leaders I love to work with with people like you and people who I know get this they're recognizing that there is the now there is the there is also the where are we heading and what do we want to be a part of? And I do think that's still brave. I mean, the Cabri family were brave and I still think it's, it's brave to do that now, especially when the narrative is look after yourself. There's a cost of living crisis. We don't know what's around the corner and there is a fear that choosing to do something like that is unwise and therefore you are compromising on your own security. So if there's more of us that do that, we can start to tilt the perhaps the culture or the, the way things are done. That's my hope anyway. So glad we're having this conversation. I realised I'd not thought about this enough. I guess I realised that if a leader, if a leader of a scale-up company, my focus area, mm. if they become aware of their strengths, so they really understand them, uh, and then they play to their strengths, they're massively more likely to achieve whatever it is they set out to achieve. Maybe that's the first... 10x uplift impact that uh, that that they get but that next bit the the ripple effect through the team of teams in their organization if they can play to their own strengths and by doing that and by supporting with the you know the rights uh by getting you involved hannah basically um, if they can inspire everybody in the organization to also play to their strengths then that's huge, isn't it? That's the next 10x and 10 times 10 is 100. This is how we get sort of a a 100. I I really think strength has got that sort of potential. I'm sure you've seen some massive success stories. Oh, definitely. And I think that point you just said has made me think then about bravery also looks like being brave in your area of strength. So I don't think it means being brave to do something that's completely outside of who you are as a person, but it can give you the bravery to actually... Well, this is where I am right now. What does 10% braver with my strengths look like? And if you've got a business goal for scale up, or if you've got a business goal for a new product or whatever that might be, strengths can give you the bravery to think, actually, I can push this further than I thought I could. What does me being 10% braver with woo and communication and developer look like? What does Ben being 10% braver with activate and maximize a futuristic? What does that look like? to to the end of meeting the goals that we've set out there. So, and then finally on that, there's a generosity around your strengths that I think also is a 10 times, which is this isn't just to benefit me and my bit of what I'm trying to achieve, but if I can be generous with those strengths to the organisation or to members within it, it's having that ripple effect and impact on, on teams and other teams that are not my direct responsibility. I want to ask you about something else because... I've got a burnout in my background, and it's because one of the early managing directors I worked for once told me, Ben, you're fearless. It's one of your greatest strengths. And I was young and impressionable at the time. So this went straight in, and I tried to be fearless for a long time. And it led me, I mean, it it propelled my career quite a a bit, but it meant that I took on the challenges that nobody else would, would take on. And also meant that I took on challenges that actually I wasn't so interested in other than meeting the challenge uh, and satisfying that, that MD and, and other stakeholders I, I had. Eventually, I, I burned out you know, and I was being fearless, but I was being fearless on the wrong thing. And I know one of the topics you speak about is burnout, stress and the personality factor. So what what is the personality factor? I've not heard that talked about in the context of burnout and stress. Okay, so this has come through 
my own reflections and the work I do that a lot of the talk around burnout can be I mean this we could talk about this for an hour easy um but a lot of the talk around burnout can be around situational factors so I do quite a lot of work with the NHS we know why we are we know some of the situational factors to use that example of why doctors are feeling a sense of burnout we can see that we don't need to be geniuses to see that there is intense pressure on the system which is leading to burnout however it can push us from thinking well these are factors that therefore I have no control over but there is a huge personality factor to our experience of burnout and I think there's two two ways one is doing things that are not really our personality that we keep being asked to do so there's this uh, like you've you've kind of alluded to some of that I'm I'm doing something that it's not really my strengths. It's not really who I am. Um, and therefore, I'm being burnt out because I'm being something I'm not. Quick example of that, somebody I know who is absolutely excellent at networking. He has a quite a networking role in the city. He's brilliant at it. I happen to know him personally as a friend. But I also know that actually he knows how to do it but it's incredibly exhausting for him. And so it asks of him in a way that means he's he's can be burnt out for days, like emotionally exhausted for days after having done that, rather than it energising him and him giving him life, which it would for me, because it's actually what I love to do. So he's, he's able to be good at something that's not necessarily a strength and talent. And so people love it about him, and yet he doesn't really love it. So that can be a burnout factor. And the other way is when your actual personality is in such overdrive that it's working against you. So uh, an example might be um, if you've got the strength responsibility, people with that are high, high ethic, high responsibility, they, their yes is yes, their word is their bond, they love to serve, they, they, they like to be accountable. And yet what often happens for burnout with those people is that they have taken on responsibilities beyond their remit, they are not delegating well, they are overly um unable to to say no to things because they feel this deep sense of obligation they're then working all hours from a place of drivenness from that responsibility which is their responsibility therefore has gone into overdrive and is impacting their burnout and then when they have that light bulb of understanding this is partly about me and the way i do things they can begin to rein that in for me one final example is i am very I have the potential to be driven by the fact I want people to like me. So early career, if my boss said, you know, do this, it was how high, you know, uh, you know, jump, it was how high. If I got an email at midnight, I would be responding at one at 2am because there was this desire to be liked. It's still there. I do. I like people. So I want them to like me. But it is in more control than it was at that point. And for me, people pleasing or not, not so much people pleasing, actually, I'm, I'm quite happy to say what I think. But being liked could also drive me to burnout because it was driving my behavior. So we've got to do some diagnostic work around, am I in burnout because I'm doing things that aren't really my strength and it's exhausting? Or am I contributing to burnout because my strengths are leading me rather than me leading my strengths? And that's massive to people taking some responsibility. We can't systemically, to use the NHS example, we can't magically systemically take all of the problems away that are there that are causing burnout. But what can an individual medic do to make things 5 or 10% better for themselves by understanding how they're contributing to burnout? That's, that's what I like. That's my kind of take on burnout. We could talk for hours. You've summed it up so beautifully. <laughs> Are my strengths leading me or am I leading my strengths? And my strengths led me into my burnout. Now as I as I coach and I run my RISE program for scale-up leaders, I get to play to my strengths. You know, I get to be strategic. I get to think of 10 different ways that they can approach their challenge. I get to be an activator. I can initiate things. And when I show up next month, I find out what started that we talked about last time and I can leave people with tons of ideas about how to get going I get to maximize I think big for them uh, and of course that works great for uh, a, a scale up uh, and I'm always thinking 10x 20x how can we how can we do that I get to be futuristic uh, if they're in the here and the now I can be thinking two three years out beyond that um yeah, and vice versa. And I, I get to be very individual with them as well. I always remember 
who I wake up each morning and I think, who is it today? Ah, oh, it's 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 Hannah this morning. I can't wait to get up to date with with Hannah and and it gives me life, like you like you said, and it energizes me. I got to stop because we'll still be here at lunchtime. There's <laughs> one thing I need to get a quick answer on though, because we talk so much about purpose. It's so intertwined, Hannah, with everything you say on this this topic. Um, it's come up lots of times. What advice would you give to to somebody who feels they've not found their purpose? Maybe they've begun to understand their strengths but they feel they've not found their purpose yet. What nudge would you give them? Yeah, I, I love this topic. It's why I wrote the course, The Purpose Pursuit, because it's it for some people they don't yet know. So I think it is an, un- first of all, I'd say take the pressure off. It's an unfolding thing. I think when we learn to find our purpose, it doesn't matter what assignment we're in, we can take that. So if somebody's retiring, if somebody's selling their business, there can still be purpose. But I would say it's about knowing your strengths, like you've just said, that's step one. And then it's beginning to think about your values alongside that. Not everything can be a value. So we have to choose. And picking some top priorities and values can add to that. And I would always encourage people to use their strengths, to use the feedback of others, to try and craft a bit of a purpose statement that is applicable for all time. It's applicable for every season. So if I want to um, leave people feeling part of my purpose statement is around leaving people feeling better and clear about who they are than, than before they met me. That can be every single stage of my life. And then another part of my purpose is to be an all in mother, friend and wife. So that's also every, every part of my life can be all in. So I think it's finding a sense of not tagging it to a role or tagging it to a situation, but thinking, what about who I am? Can I bring to any environment, whether it's dinner with friends, holidaying, retiring, uh, doing the cleaning, I don't know, but what do I bring to each of those environments? I'm a trustee, so bringing, again, bringing my purpose and strength into that space. It's not my core role, but what's my contribution there? I'm confident to know that when I'm saying yes or no to things, it has to fit with that sense of purpose. And if I can't outwork it, it's probably a no. And that is helping me refine. Having said that, I'm not brilliant at this. I'm too busy, but it's helping me refine the yeses and the nos accordingly. So I think a, a quick, quick summary there might be, it's, I don't want this to sound morbid, but but what would you want people to say about you when you're no longer here? And that can help you drive a purpose statement that connects your strengths, your values, and how you want to show up and be seen in the world that can be there as a, I'm doing that in all the different seasons of my life so that if I'm not able to work for whatever reason, I haven't lost a sense of contribution and purpose because if it all hinges on that, that's when people really struggle got you and you you had a really nice little step hidden in the middle there you know think about your strengths think about your values and then I think for many people it becomes quite a a chasm to cross to then craft a purpose statement or even to think about you know how do I want to be remembered but you had a little step in the middle you snuck it in there which was think about your strengths think about your values pick some priorities yeah, in that context, try a few things out. And I can imagine people doing that. Uh, and then that might inform the purpose statement and how we want to be remembered. Lovely. Thank you for that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to borrow it. I'll tell you how it goes. <laughs> um, okay, quick fire questions. Who's your favourite sidekick? Hermione Granger <laughs> from Harry Potter. I think she is... She's brilliant because she enables. Uh, she's absolutely a key part of the success of Harry and the gang. But she is not. Uh, she's supporting somebody else's journey and story. But through being everything that she is, she brings it every time. What are her top five strengths? Oh, gosh. Learner, definitely. <laughs> learner. She's got learner. Um, achiever. Learner, achiever, definitely. <laughs> I'll take those two. You hadn't prepared for all five. Um, <laughs> This next one from somebody we, we both know, Kev Curley. Who holds you accountable? I think it's the who and the what. The who is my team. I have a brilliant team that upwardly 
account make me accountable they are so good at that my husband and my sister are massive people to hold me accountable but the the what is also my faith holds me accountable I have a strong personal faith and I want to live accordingly to that and that's an accountability structure too yes I hear you we've heard I think as we've gone along that you've got a pretty busy and full life three three kids I guess they're in their teenage years now-ish so what are your top hacks to to handle that sort of pressure and busyness and survive it and to thrive I was thinking about this and I think about it regularly Uh, by the way listeners if you've got little ones teenagers is just differently hard so (laughs) you don't suddenly magically grow time it's just different so sorry to burst that bubble um for me there's a few things I think it goes back to the deciding what the priorities are Uh, That's really important. And getting those straight first. What am I not going to compromise on? And something that I picked up so profoundly from the work of Oliver Berkman and his book, 4,000 Weeks, was uh, it's one of the best books I've ever read. And I've read it twice now and I, I need to read it again. He talked about knowing your limitations And we don't talk about that. I think there is so much around you can do anything, you can be anything. I think for women, there is this be what you want, be what you, you know, have it all. And it's so profoundly unhelpful because we have limitations, but we have limitations around the stage of life we're in. We have limitations around our capacity. And I have to recognize those and and then decide the priorities based on it. And then simply and practically, off the back of those important drivers is then I'm, I have to be really organized. I have to plan things in starting with the things that matter to me and then making sure that the different parts of my life can kind of mesh together and, and going back to choosing what's important and what have you got to let slide. In the summer holidays, which is where we are right now, there's another thing where you have to adjust your expectations and think it is just going to look and feel a bit different. And if I expect it not to, I'm going to be disappointed that I'm not getting the stuff done that I want to. So I try to think about my expectations every day. What's realistic and what is the important thing for today? That's how I manage. And being honest with people that love and care about me, that it's just got a bit too much and what do I need to hold back for? I think the last thing I'd say there, actually, Ben, is that we all have different capacity. I'd say my husband and I've got quite high capacity to juggle a lot of things and We have to know where our sweet spot is with that and when it's got too much. And everybody's is different in terms of juggling capacity. And it's not a competition. You have to know what that is and and monitor when you're starting to feel the squeeze and and think about how you bring that back in. I'm going to listen back to that answer because there's there's so many things there that I need to listen to and think, how am I doing that? And am I doing that? And am I doing it uh, to a Hannah standard? I'm sorry that was a long answer. <laughs> no apologies, no apologies. And and this is turning into one of our longer podcasts. And I know that uh, our, our listeners are going to be pleased about that because it's such a good conversation. But let's let's wrap it up. And to wrap it up, tell me a bit more about what's coming for Psychic. But also, I've got to mention one of the... It's so impressive about Psychic and I've not seen it anywhere else. 10% of your revenues you give across to, to to charities that's that's huge i know that lots of companies are doing one percent for the planet i do i do that there's b corps out there but 10 percent sets a a whole new whole new bar um so psychic really is purpose driven so just wrap us up in that way what what's coming and, and say a little bit about about that So what's coming is that we have produced some really great digital resources that we're ready to kind of share with the world around strengths for leaders, strengths for managers, strengths for sales, strengths for personal development. So that's coming. uh, That's something we're growing. Uh, Another thing that's coming that I'm involved with is supporting leaders with ADHD. I'm running a conference um, with a colleague um, mid-October where we're going to be supporting uh, leaders with diagnosis or, or potential for diagnosis and how strengths can be supportive in that so those are some of the things that are coming always something coming Ben I'm always looking to do something new and fresh and going back to your other question around the, the 10% so there's two things here knowing my own values and knowing what's important to me was was a driver behind that I know that to scale that is a bigger driver for me the idea of being able to do that and the bravery that you mentioned before 
I want to be really generous with my clients. I always want to go over and above. And then I want to be generous to the wider world. I could always have more and we could always have more. But do I also need it? No, is, 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 a, is the answer to that. I definitely don't. And the 10% of profits was around making a clear statement that the world isn't very fair. I've got opportunity here. And actually, for everyone who works with me, we together are able to make the world a little bit fairer by supporting some organizations that are doing incredible work. And putting that front and center as a, as a kind of a USP for me has meant that actually that's a, how exciting would it be for us to be to be at a place where we, we have resources, books and courses that people are using and also benefiting the wider world. So I guess I will finish on this as twee as it sounds. I knew my strengths and I knew that I work hard on things that matter. And one of my worries about leaving teaching was that I knew that mattered and I need to make sure this feels like it matters too. And that was kind of a, a central point. I did have people say, um, are you sure? Do you think this is, you know, what, why business leaders saying, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to say it out loud? People, you know, is it, are you sure this is um, is wise? You, you, you're withdraw withdrawing from your own business to do that. But it felt important to me and I'm back backing myself to, to do it. Fantastic. Congratulations. And I can't wait to hear and see what happens as a psychic really extends its, its reach in, in those ways. It's going to be fantastic. Thanks, Ben. Hannah, listen, I think this is going to turn out to be one of the more important, most important podcasts we've recorded because I know what a difference it makes when somebody begins to understand their strengths and their purpose and they can make that that change from strengths leading them to them leading with their with their strengths. So I think this is going to be one of the most important. People will have listened up to this point uh, and some will want to work with you. So how do they get in touch? So they can find me um, on my website, which is hellosidekick.co. It's just .co at the end. They can also find me on the socials uh, and they can also email at youhadme at hellosidekick.co. Great. Thank you, Hannah. I can't wait to... We're working together in the autumn, so I can't wait. Yeah, can't wait to see you, Ben. Take care. Bye-bye.